Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your peoples with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 72, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, November the 3rd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing to look at the book of Nehemiah in the 13th chapter, verses 4 to 22. We're in uh, the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, the first 12 verses, and in Matthew's Gospel, continuing in chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. <clears throat> so we, we have just remembered, dedicated the walls of Jerusalem the day before. <clears throat> yeah, well, yesterday's reading. <laughs> So today, now before this, Eliashib the priest, who had appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, remember Tobiah had a great influence among certain people in Judah. They they owed him something at this time. So Eliashib the priest prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Well, what became of all the stuff that was in there, and why was anybody preparing a chamber for Tobiah in the house of God? It doesn't make any sense. None of that makes any sense. It's profaning the house of God in order to do that. Only God had a place there. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the, 20, in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. So he had gone back, as he had promised he would, he had gone back to the king. And then he after a time, asks to go back to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I mean, this is, you, you can just see this. I've been gone 15 minutes and you profane the house of God? That You see why leadership is so important. I mean, literally, he's gone 15 minutes, and, and Tobiah has wormed his way into the tent. He's in the house of God with his own home there. And so you see, Nehemiah is one of the first to do exactly what Jesus did when he came and cleansed the temple. And that's exactly what Nehemiah has to do here in throwing out Tobiah and getting him out of there. And, and because he can't murder him, he can't put him to death for what he's done, because you can't do that. <laughs> so he has to throw him out. But, I mean, can you imagine the outrage you would feel if you were Nehemiah when you come back from seeing the king? You've been gone for a, whatever period of time, and, and this is what's happened. The camel has, has nosed its way into the tent with the help of the priest. 
I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. They had to go out and and raise money for themselves, raise crops for themselves, because the people had stopped bringing the tithe. I mean, there's no leadership. Is there nobody in charge here? Did nobody care? So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses, and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. It's sort of the deacons, but he's put three different classes of people in charge. Do you see that? He's got a priest, a scribe, and then this other person who is a Levite. And so the people with a vested interest in this are now placed over this, but they represent three different constituencies, but they're the three constituencies who would receive from this. And so he sets them in charge, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Same thing that they do in the early church in Acts 6 when they decide, you know, hey, we don't all have time to to do this. We're apostles. We were sent to do something specific. So we're going to appoint some other people to distribute to the widows and the orphans. And so that's exactly what he's done here. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and don't wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of God and for his service because he's already seen it almost wiped out by just being gone for a period of time. And so he's asking God, hey, look, I'm doing my best, and I'm upholding the sanctity of your house. Please remember this. Like I said, his prayers are always really these brief things that he records for us. But he's saying, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, this is an Ecclesiastes moment for him, right? I don't know what kind of person it'll be who who receives what they inherit from me, Um and he has no reason to have any faith in him at all. It's exactly the same thing that happens at, when they make the ca- golden calves in Exodus, right? Moses is gone for a little while, and, and here they go. And so we're seeing that same thing happen again. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. It's not the law to do that. But I mean, Nehemiah is not even a priest, and he's the one who's got to uphold this law. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, people from Tyre, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. <laughs> There's an exclamation point. Can you believe it? That's what he's saying. In Jerusalem? I can see it if you're doing it outside somewhere else in one of the other towns around here. But in Jerusalem? You're allowing people to bring goods in here and people are buying and selling on the Sabbath? Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what's this evil thing you're doing profaning the Sabbath day? Didn't your fathers act in this way? And didn't God bring all this disaster on us and on this city that we just rebuilt? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. I mean, what is wrong with you people? As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded doors be shut and give orders that they should not be open until after the Sabbath. So as it's getting dark, they shut the gates to keep people out from bringing stuff in like that. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day because carrying that load would have been a sin. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So they're just waiting for that gate to open. But I warned them, 
and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor. O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He, he says, Look, I'm doing my best. I did everything that I could do. I, I got very little help. <laughs> Unless I commanded people to do it, put them in place, and made them do it, then they didn't. I mean, he had, he had very little reason to hope or believe that this was going to last and that his work would have been completely in vain because of the disobedience of the people and the disregard of people for the Lord and for his holiness. It, it, it's We dedicated it. We did all this stuff. And now, 15 minutes after I've been gone, this is what happens. You've wrecked the house. I mean, it's sort of like... You know, like being a mom and dad, right, and leaving your kids at home and coming back and finding out that, that they don't care anything at all about all the stuff that you worked for and all the stuff that you've built up, and, and that they've just gone crazy in your absence. And so so it is here. And like I said, it's, it's very similar to when Moses comes down the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments. You, it's that same basic feeling, the outrage he would have felt in this place and, and having to restore order among the people who, who have completely lost the thread overnight. Jesus has spoken in these parables, and now he's finished, and he goes away from that place, which is Capernaum, and comes to his hometown, and he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom in these mighty works? They're impressed with what he's done. They're amazed at what he's done. Where in the world did this come from? And then they go on to ask the questions, isn't this the carpenter's son? Didn't his mother call Mary, and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't his sisters all with us? Don't, don't we know this guy? We know everything we need to know about him, right? Where, when, where then did this man get all these things? I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, and then they took offense at him. So we know everything we need to know. He, he used to live here. There's his mom. That the carpenter guy is his dad, and we know. I mean, here's his brothers and sisters right here. Who does he think he is? It's it's amazing because of what they know of Jesus. Don't let them doesn't let them see who he really is. They're astonished. They react in the right way, and then they begin to apply other standards to figure out who he is. Oh no, no, we know all about him. We know who he is. We we know where he comes from. So who does he think he is? I mean, initially, the question of where did he get these things is marveling, and at the end of it is, who does he think he is? Where, where did he get these things? It's, it's a remarkable thing that we can miss something that's so obvious and right in front of our faces. And we can. <laughs> it's perfectly capable of doing that. We're perfectly capable of believing that we get things on our own and that we're responsible for all the good things that we have in our lives. And that God's to blame for all the bad things that happen to us. So we we can come to that conclusion because, well, we, we worked hard for it. Well, your labor could have been in vain. God blessed it. That's the total package and understanding of things. But But we can do exactly the same thing they did and miss entirely. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's a sad, sad thing, uh, and it can absolutely be true. Um, 
the, the familiarity breeds contempt, and that's basically what Jesus is saying there. In this, and it's the same with Nehemiah. You know that people resented that. You know that that they were accustomed to doing things a certain way. They were accustomed to doing business on the Sabbath, and not keeping Sabbath in that way. And so, they they were offended. You you know it. There was money to be made. And nobody was making it because of Nehemiah. So you can know that he was resented, and they were thinking, who is this guy? Who does he think he is to come in here and do all this stuff? So it's always the problem, again, with a leader, is is that, that you're going to be second-guessed and you're going to be questioned. In Revelation passage, it's a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was, has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1260 days. I'm going to post along with this a link um, to what I think is a fabulous teaching by a guy named Michael Heiser, who uh, is a great biblical scholar. And here in, the, in this passage right here, he does a wonderful 10-minute exposition that I highly encourage you to watch about the signs in the heavens here. And he ties that into the Magi and the signs that the Magi would, would have seen. Because John, John begins, remember, a great sign appeared in heaven. So I looked up in the sky and saw. And so he, he goes through this, the whole thing about the constellations and the, um, the sign that the Magi would have been looking for. And then connects that with the Qumran community who used a calendar that was different from all the other parts of Judaism. They... they they use a calendar that's based in the zodiac, but not in the way we would do horoscopes today, not in a deterministic way that they determine anything at all. But they believed that the God who created heaven and earth could could use the skies to signal things. And so it's a fascinating and fabulous 10 minutes. I highly encourage you to watch the link that I've provided for you there about all this. Because this is obviously, the virgin is obviously married, and the son is Jesus. And she does indeed go into the wilderness because she goes to Israel, or to Egypt, sorry. The family goes to Egypt for a period of time before coming back to the land. And so Jesus is caught up to God and his throne in the sense that he's, he's protected from the harm that this serpent has against him. The serpent's not aware that it lacks the power to do what it intends to do. And now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels were fighting against that dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And uh, so we've moved from the the astrological or an astronomical signs to, to this war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the dragon. But he was defeated, the dragon, and there was no longer any place for them. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Again, that's a different conception of, of who Satan is than, um, than, than you get in Judaism, because he's talking about the deceiver of the world. The, the work of the Satan in Judaism is, is not to deceive, actually. It, it's to tempt. <clears throat> he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, 
who accuses them day and night before our God. And it, but now that will go back more to a, a Judaistic interpretation of the work of Satan, which is to accuse the brethren, which is to come and say, you know, I, I caught this one doing this and blah, 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 blah. It's sort of the whole Job story. Have you seen my servant Job, a man who's holy and blameless and upright? Yeah, yeah of course he is. Because you give him everything that he could ever desire, if you take that away from him. So that's how he's accusing him there. And then it goes on further beyond that once he's, God's done that and limited his authority to not touching the man to then touching him. He, he continues to say, no, 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 so he, he's still skin for skin. Skin for skin. If, if you touch his flesh, then he'll denounce you. And so that this idea of Satan as the accuser of the brethren is there, and that's the, that's the Judaistic conception of Satan. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. They, the brothers, have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They were willing to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom. They, they understood the parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. They understood the value of the kingdom of heaven, and they pursued it rather than anything else. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." And so we live in that dispensation of time when Jesus has gone to heaven and been caught up into the heavens to God and his throne, and Satan has been thrown down. And so we live in that dispensation after the conquering of Christ, and we wait yet for all things to be put into subjection under his feet. And he tells parables frequently of a man who was the master of a house or owned a a vineyard, and then he went away. And then what happens? Things devolve, because things always devolve. That's the principle of entropy. So it, we've got to work at it. We've got to constantly be vigilant and aware. We can't be like the people of Nehemiah's time, the people of Moses' or, yeah, Moses's time when they were at the mountain. We can't be those people who, who let down our guard and, and let the work of those who have come before us fall to pieces. It's important for us to be guardians. It's important for us to be those who stand at the gates, ready to uphold God's sovereignty, ready to uphold God's holiness, and ready to uphold the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And we can't compromise on that, no matter how much easier it would be to do that. We can't seek our own safety and security. We've got to seek the kingdom of God.